0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show. Today we discuss about selling, psychology of selling, how you can sell a lot more to get much higher results. And I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Legal. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. I usually set up positive mindset every morning, so, uh, you know, uh, I don't take many things uh, like smartphone, my laptop, before setting this positive mindset. So uh, that's why yeah. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah. Works. yeah, Yeah, Uh right. Before we start, tell more about your experience, background, and why you decided to share with us about psychology of selling and buying.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I sort of got into sales accidentally. And uh, um, it's actually the first job I ever had wasn't sales uh it, it wasn't my career goal. uh i don't even know if i really had too many career goals when i first started but um i just there's been some really interesting things that i've experienced in my in my career so far and uh, a lot of them are sort of counterintuitive And so um i just think it's really important to share some of those experiences and um you know successes and failures with other people so maybe they don't have to, to experience them they can just learn from mine um yeah i wish that i had somebody sort of telling me some of these things before uh i jumped into a, a sales career and had to to fail a lot before i got successful so
0: nice nice okay yeah. before we start i wanna uh thank you to our sponsor Sirenkin, a top related all-in-one SEO platform I like C-Ranking for their very accurate trend tracker tool, which shows your daily rankings for your website in five search engines for any location, device, or language. You can monitor Google Maps results and 35 search features for every keyword and much more. Just Google C-Ranking trend tracker and get 40 days for free. Uh, Lee, can you tell, uh, can you share your list of loving tools that you use for sales because you know i, I think that uh, it's important to personalize your message but without tools uh, tools can help to save time can you share your list of and tools yeah
1: um so there are some i think really important things that uh that you need to be able to have um i mean i guess the first one is the crm um and not all crms are created equal Um, You know, I've worked at quite a few different organizations that use HubSpot. Um, HubSpot is sort of all things for all people, Um, but I think you get to a point where uh, maybe you need to scale a little bit bigger, something like Salesforce is good, but um, you know, a CRM, very important. Um, The next thing I think that is really useful is having um, your marketing automation aligned with the goals of the salesperson and the marketing team. So that means, look, we have a CRM and we have a marketing automation platform, whether that is a Marketo or, um, you know, any of the different marketing automation platforms. Uh, Another, I think that's really useful is the sales enablement sort of platforms, things like outreach, uh, things like um, sales loss uh because sales is such a sort of numbers game the ability to automate that outreach and to do a lot of the basic sort of you know um setting up the names of people and the companies before you really do a a personalized uh email that saves a ton of time so i think um that is a tool that's really important and then um beyond that i think you need to have a really solid internet connection because nowadays um things have changed a lot in two years sales has gone from being something where maybe you'll do some of your calls and things and you'll do a zoom but then ultimately you want to be in person and face to face with people well that expectation has really changed and so um it's not really an application but it's more um your ability to even get out into the world is uh won and lost by how stable your internet connection is so if you're somewhere and you have a spotty internet connection it's time to switch providers or you know upgrade to a, a super high speed connection because i think that's really
0: important mm-hmm. yeah love it love it um, let me share uh emails that i get probably a hundred times a day a right. lot of them they wanna yeah. sell me something Uh, that I don't need at all. Sometimes I need it, but uh, I feel it's a template. You know, it's not personalized. They don't consider my preferences. For example, uh, not personalized. Like uh, I know that you are good with fashion. Guys, (laughs) I have only one t-shirt. You know, that's probably (laughs) a few ones. I'm not good with that. They don't know me. They just use template. Uh, For example, uh I get a lot of emails uh they wanna sell guest posting or any other services you know uh yes i use the uh, this uh, link building uh, techniques but i don't use spam guest posting uh, when you wanna uh you know provide just cheap stuff for example they tell me i can uh, write guest post for 5 dollars uh i can submit yeah. to uh, websites, they don't consider my preferences, they don't know me, they don't know how I use it. Can you tell more about personalization? How it's important yeah. today, and what do you think about such sp- uh, spam messages that you know spam inbox love it? I uh, lead them to my spam inbox, and yeah. it's the best place where they can yeah. share their message, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you
1: know, it, it's funny because, um, again. You know, sales has changed a lot. So um, with the Internet and with buyers being, you know, really savvy and doing a lot of buying online, um, you know, it used to be the case where you would get a phone number from somebody and you'd give them a call and you'd tell them about your product or your service. And you were the one that held all of the information. And so if they wanted to learn about it, they had to learn about it from you. Uh, maybe they had to ask a contact or somebody, have you ever heard of this company? You heard of what they do? Oh, I think they do this. Oh, I think they're kind of like this competitor. I mean, that used to be it. So you sort of had um, a pretty big responsibility to represent the company and the information and the value. But you also had the freedom to sort of control how much information the prospect gets about uh, what you're selling. And really within the past 10, 12 years, I mean, that's completely different. So. You know, uh, everything is pretty much a Google search away or, you know, Bing search or or a DuckDuckGo search, whatever. I want to diversify it a bit. Um, So, you know, people can search about anything and really get at least a decent amount of high-level information right away. Um, But one of the good things about that is that also means that these people are going to be online more likely. So you have an opportunity to do a little bit of research about them. This is where I think a lot of people fail. You know, you get, you'll get an email and say, oh, Anatoly, you know, how would you like to, um, you know, try our, um, you know, SEO services when they're trying to sell you SEO services? I mean, they understand that you're in the SEO space, but what they didn't do intelligently is go, oh, he sells what we sell, or he's so deeply into, into this space that he's not actually a target customer. He's probably a competitor. But they just sort of, you know, will skim and go, oh, SEO, Anatoly, I'm going to try and sell to him. Um, and so that always looks bad. And that gives salespeople a bad name. I think it's really tough, though, to personalize and to scale. So it's, it's almost like the Venn diagram of, you know, um, you want to personalize it. Okay, then you don't have enough time to send out high volume. Or, oh, you want to send out high volume? Okay, you don't have enough time to personalize everything. So you have to kind of find a middle ground there and say, okay, I want to personalize, um, but I need to be able to get some volume out. So I'm going to pick a really realistic target, and I'm going to go after that target. So I'm not going to pray and spray. I'm not going to send a thousand things. I'm going to send 200 things. And those 200 Mm -hmm. are going to be like, you know, hey, Anatoly, you know, how are you? How is everything going? Uh, I love your post the other day uh, where you interviewed the CEO of this company. You had some great questions. One thing I was thinking about during that is, you know, in your experience, what is it, and blah, 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 right? That would be a much more compelling uh, outreach, right? Somebody takes 10 minutes, listens to some of your posts because you post a lot and then there's information there to be gleaned to say, okay, I want to know that I am paying attention to who he is and that I actually maybe care and maybe can help solve a pain that he's got. Um, but it's, it's easier said than done. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately, um, here's a trick that I've done in the past, which it's a, it's my secret. And so I'm sharing it here. Um, and if anybody wants to use it, they can. Um, but when you're doing um, outreach to people, you know, I don't do this on the first outreach. And I don't do this when it's somebody who I don't know is a decision maker. But if I'm in a really important sales process and I'm about to meet with the stakeholder and ultimately the decision maker, what I do is I go to their LinkedIn profile. And I find recommendations that they've provided. And if you're lucky, they have provided a lot of recommendations for other people. Then I copy all of those recommendations on a document. I take out the names of the people and the companies that they worked with. And I paste it into a word cloud generator. And then I look at that word cloud generator and go, oh, wow. Um, tenacious, uh, thoughtful, innovative, hardworking. Uh, These are the things that they, time and time again, mention in their recommendations of other people, which tells you these are the types of things that matter to that person. So what I'll do is I'll take it, I'll put it up on the wall, and when I'm having that conversation, if I need to, I can glance over and go, you know what? I think there's some innovation here. We've been really working hard on uh, making sure and, and just pulling those value words out and using them during that conversation. Now that's personalization, and that is something that not a lot of other people are going to be using, but it's the, the type of trick that uh, can make a difference.
0: Yeah, love it, love it. Okay, let's talk about uh, another aspect. For example, I can learn my uh, recipients. Uh, understand their pain points uh, and personalize my message. But according to some well-known studies that only 8% of uh, emails are open. Yeah. Uh, For example, you can spend uh, so much time to personalize the message, to send it in the right time, to schedule it, but only 8% are open. Uh, And I check out what's going on on that. For example, I usually get a bunch of messages and uh, I... Open emails from my colleagues, my customers on the first stage. Because I know it's important. I need to handle my business. Then uh, I can check out the rest. Uh, Possible from friends. And then uh, other emails that I don't know. If I have time. Sometimes I have no time. So, sorry guys. I have no time with that. Can you tell about warming connection. For example, uh, you mentioned that you need to learn prospects uh, on LinkedIn, on other social media to analyze uh, what they usually share. But can you tell how to warm connection before sending this personalized email? Uh, For example, uh, I usually comment on other posts. Uh, I can share some messages. Uh, I did it with Neil Patel. I uh, commented a hundred times. Then I reached out to him and uh, asked, uh, Neil, can you take on my podcast to share some valuable insights, and he replied, Okay, let's do it. So, uh, yeah, it works. Can you tell your methods how to increase open rate uh, in your emails? Um, the
1: quick answer is there's no real secret to it mm-hmm. beyond writing a good email and writing a good subject line, um, yeah. you know. And, and that's where, at the end of the day, you can't move mountains as a salesperson. If somebody mm-hmm. doesn't want to buy, or is it, yeah. it's not time for them to buy, or they don't have time to look, um, it's really difficult to get them to open the email. So, I mean, I would say at the at the end of the day, it is all about the subject line. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, something that I do sometimes is to put, you know, R-E, colon, as if it's a reply to something. Um, I If I've been able to connect with somebody who knows them, I'll mention that person's name in the subject line. Um, so-and-so asked that we connect. Um, but, I mean, you know, other than creating amazing subject lines, um, if the person is not looking to just read an email from a stranger, they're not going to read it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's the reality. Um, But one thing that I have found is there are some pretty smart strategies out there for how to um, execute your outreach. And and one of them is, um, say I'm reaching out to a VP Mm -hmm. um, and I can't get in touch with them. You reach above them to a CEO. Because a CEO is typically very good at delegating and saying, don't have a ton of time for this, but who you want to speak to is so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. So so then you can get peripherally involved with the person who is close to who you want to speak to. Uh, You may actually find out that the decision maker you thought was the decision maker is not that person, or now you're developing relationships around that prospect. That will go. Okay, you know, can you introduce me? Can you forward me over there? Or hey, listen, Anatoly on the, um, you know, the marketing side, told me to reach out to you uh, or to fold you in on this conversation and wonder if you had ten minutes. Um, so you know, it's being, it's being really buttoned up on on how you do the outreach, but you can't make somebody open an email if they don't want to, and and that's mm-hmm. the reality at the end of the day. So you know. <laughs> You can have you better have the best email out there and and the best strategy and uh sometimes that is still not enough.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's the same like to write uh interesting blog posts or social media posts and get low engagement. Guys, mm-hmm. you can't get results from everything that you do. Cool. Uh yeah, right. it's like the principle of Pareta at 20% of efforts can bring eighty percent of results. Can yeah. you tell about uh Choosing the right recipients. I mean, like uh, possible customers, uh, because you know, uh, for example, when I get the message, uh, I know you like fashion, and it's a hundred percent irrelevant with my interest, hobby, anything. Uh, can you share your methods to choose? Okay, I can uh, reach out to these prospects, uh, and it's better to ignore these uh, people uh, from your experience.
1: Yeah. Um... That's a tough one because, look, Anatoly, here's the reality. Um, You know, salespeople are often tasked with doing their own hunting, and that's great. But what ends up happening is a lot of times the people that are doing the hunting are new to the workforce. They're junior salespeople. They don't have the experience to understand um sometimes the complexities of the thing that they're selling the complexities of the org charts that they're trying to sell into and even if they understand all of that um they still if they're left to do that hunting on their own um they're just going to to end up being caught between you know you better have high numbers of outreach but you also better have you know success in booking meetings or in getting people to have conversations um The real solution to this is having a marketing team and a sales team that are in alignment because what should happen is you have a marketing team who is looking at your current customer list, your current book of business, and they're saying, okay, who do we serve? Who are our clients? Who are our best clients? Who signed the contract? Who did we speak to in that process? Who are these people? These are the lookalike audiences that we need to be creating content for and driving lead generation so that salespeople are not just coming up with their own random ideas on who the best person is to reach out to. So, I mean, you know, that is the, if I had a magic wand and I could save every organization out there, that would be it. It would be okay. Sales and marketing are no longer two different teams. They're the same team. They have the same goal in mind. We ultimately want to bring people in to be customers. And then we want those customers to be engaged and to be long-term customers. And we want the right people at the right time to come to us and ask us for our product. That would be ideal. Um, You know, but also... eh, the, the sad reality is, um, if somebody doesn't have a LinkedIn profile, or they do and they have like, you know, 15 connections, um, they're probably not spending a lot of time on the internet, and so they're probably not um, creating a lot of content. They're probably doing a lot of heads down work. Maybe they've been in the workforce for a long time, or maybe they just that's not how they they like to operate. Um, And so your buyer may be hidden in the real world, and Mm -hmm. uh, it's really difficult to figure out who that person is unless you have good relationships. Relationships are the most important secret sauce in
0: business and in sales. Love it, love it. Can you tell about this alignment uh, between marketers and salespeople? Because many companies still separate uh, all these Mm -hmm. departments. Yeah, Yeah. but uh, I check out a few studies that uh, salespeople, uh, in most cases, uh, distrust marketers, uh, mm-hmm. uh, many things. Why? Because marketers can chase like a uh, long plan strategy to create brand awareness. Salespeople want to sell. Yeah, they need to mm-hmm. sell because it's their uh, fuel to go ahead. Uh, can you tell about this alignment? How to uh, unite uh, salespeople and marketers in one cohesive goal?
1: Well, so I think what would be What's important is that they have the same goals. And so, you know, I mean, on its face, it's all one funnel. The marketing funnel and the sales funnel, they're all one funnel. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think creating the right KPIs and the right uh, compensation around marketing and sales and folding them in together so that, listen, you know, Marketing is looking for, you know, website visits. They're looking for, you know, um, click-through rates. They're looking through, you know, time on page. They're looking for all these different things. Um, You know, there should be a constant discussion on what a marketing qualified lead is and what a sales qualified opportunity is. And they should be working all the time to do a post-mortem on every sale that goes through and every sale that fails there should be a team saying okay what worked there what didn't work did content help to drive that sale what type of content what type of things were they interested in Um, how could we have helped educate them throughout the sales process Um, because i find that sales people are always asking for more content and marketing people are always saying i have too much content you there's so much content already i need more um, you know, uh, website visits or more social engagement, you know. Um, and so I think companies have done a really poor job at uniting those teams. In fact, they compensate them so that they're in opposition to each other. The way that they're structured means that they're going to be bumping heads. They're not going to be working together. They're going to be fighting it out. And, um, you know, sales is going to be blaming marketing and uh, marketing is going to be willing sales. sales is going to say marketing doesn't do anything. Our website sucks. We don't have enough content, you know, like um, none of my buyers care about this or it's all top of funnel stuff. There's no engaged, you know, leads and you know, all the leads are terrible. And then, you know, marketing is going to say, oh, I brought in a hundred marketing qualified leads last quarter. And, and one of them closed, like it's sales is bad at sales. And they'll always be finding. And I think, you know, if you have them both accountable to different parts of the same funnel, then they're never going to see eye to eye. I think that hopefully what we're seeing is the um, revenue teams are all kind of coming in under the same umbrella and that's important. You know, marketing is revenue, sales is revenue. And so, you know, what we're seeing is the, the rise of the CRO uh, and the chief revenue officer who hopefully will continue to create an environment where, these teams are just revenue teams and they're all working together. And I think that's maybe a bit of a, you know, hopeful idea, but I've said it from the very beginning of my career. I wish that sales and marketing were more aligned. Um, and, uh, i I've yet to really come across a company that said, you know, Oh, we're, we're great. We have it all figured out our sales and our marketing teams, are best friends. Um, that doesn't happen nearly enough. Uh, so
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love one quote uh, that if you uh, sell to anyone, you sell to nobody. Can you tell more about creating a buying persona? Because companies uh, often uh, chase uh, anyone uh, to share Mm -hmm. content for anyone, but it's Mm -hmm. hard. You can't satisfy anyone. You need to consider your unique selling proposition and find your uh, prospects. Can you tell more about creating buying persona?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, it really depends on what you're selling. Uh, In Mm -hmm. some instances, it's very clear who you need to sell to, right? Um, If you're selling a solution that helps a certain department do something easier and more quickly and with more transparency, Mm -hmm. then it shouldn't be too tough to go, okay, I need the director of this uh, and then you reach out to them. But sometimes that's not the case. And what happens more and more is small companies, if you're selling into smaller companies, smelling, selling into startups, um, selling into you know um, SMBs, those preconceived notions about who the buyer is kind of go out the window because mm-hmm. chances are a lot of the people in those companies wear many different hats. And it may be, um, you know, that the office manager is the person who is the decision maker. It may mm-hmm. be that the, um, you know, the person in IT is the decision maker. And so that throws it all on its head. And, and I think that's why, again, um, one of the most important things that you can do is stay engaged with your current clients. and ask them for introductions and referrals. Uh, And once you get a sense of, um, you know, where your customers are telling you to go, it'll help you after a while go, you know what? Um, You know, Sarah from XYZ company really gave me a great tip and I was able to sell into this other company and I didn't really think about why that person would be the person that would be the buyer and now it makes a lot of sense. So now I'm going to take what Sarah told me and I'm going to try and and craft a strategy based on that. And like, that's I think that's where the the science and the art of sales comes into play is that ultimately we want scale but you can't always scale it you can't always predict it there's always different elements and different strategies that are going to present themselves that do not fit into a box or a template um, they're unique and so you have mm-hmm. to think and come up with a unique solution um, to solve it
0: yeah yeah love it love it uh, okay let's talk about uh can you tell your methods to improve sales skills uh because you know for example i can read a book i can uh listen to a bunch of podcasts blog posts but uh sales is growing methods are changing can you tell your methods how to improve and update skills that you have
1: yeah um i mean unfortunately it does take time uh it takes a lot of time it takes experiencing Losses, um, you learn a lot from those. But what I will say is um there are a lot of old strategies out there that just don't work, and there are a lot of new strategies that are so surprising and yet they do work. So I would say if you're interested in sales um and truly being effective, there's a couple of kind of counterintuitive things that you should maybe do. Number one, you should try and learn as much about yourself as possible because you're going to bring a lot of your insecurities and your um, biases into a sale and really getting um, a hold on who you are and maybe your tendency to want to be liked or to want people to think you're smart. You have to understand if those are, are a problem for you and, and you need to deal with them through the sales process. The other thing is, Um, There's a lot of research going on all the time around psychology and neuroscience that tells us that a lot of the things that maybe we thought about people were not true. And so being a lifelong learner and being interested in discovering things about human nature, you can never go wrong with that. Um, What Mm -hmm. I learned about the pattern interrupt is one of the best things in the world for cold calling. When I was a cold caller, um, you know, I started out in my sales career cold calling people. Um, It was brutal. Uh, And then I learned about the idea of, on a call, the first thing you say is, oh, hi, Anthony. This is Lee from ABC Company. Listen, I don't know if we even need to talk. Can you give me a minute so I can explain why I'm calling you out of the blue and then you let me know if it's a good idea that we talk? So what I've done is I've interrupted your instinct to go, I don't have time, I don't want to talk. I've already taken that off the table. And I'm giving you the control and saying, listen, I don't know if it's a good time to talk. Can I tell you why I'm calling? And then you tell me if it's worth having a conversation. So not only am I saying, okay, you know what? I don't know if it's a good idea to talk. So I've taken that away from you as as an objection. And I'm also giving you the power to say, okay, I'll, I'll hear him out because I have to be reasonable. And if it's something I want to talk about, then I can control whether I want to talk with him or not. So those little things, learning about the way the mind works, learning about yourself, those are all things that are going to help you um, thrive as a salesperson in a in a way that is long term and that you're not going to burn out.
0: Yeah, yeah, valuable. OK, let's talk about uh, qualities that uh, sales people should have, for example, uh, some people can be introverts, other extroverts. It depends. Yeah, Uh, we are different. Uh, What do you think introverts can be successful uh, salespeople? And uh, for example, okay, I understand I need to learn customers, prospects uh, to satisfy their intent, but if uh, I'm different with my uh, customers, How to consider myself uh, to be myself and uh, to sell? What do you think about introverts and extroverts? What do you feel?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it shouldn't matter um, because uh, I have known some introverts that were wonderful salespeople. And Mm a couple of the reasons why. Number one, they were great at writing. their emails were always better than mine. um, Thoughtful because here's a person who maybe they don't talk a lot, but they have a lot to say and they are really practiced at getting it down on the page or writing it down in an email. Um, And and so that is a great way uh, that an introvert can be successful is to just say, okay, my strengths are not necessarily speaking or, you know, being, um, loud or being part of the conversation every second, but I have a lot of thoughts and I know how to get them out. But I do it my own way. Secondly, um, introverts are more likely to be listeners. And mm-hmm. so, you know, um, a really funny thing that, that um, I, I've learned uh, that, again, seems sort of counterintuitive is uh, if you have a conversation with someone where you mostly just listen At the end, they'll go, you know, gosh, I really love that person. They're so great to talk to. Um, And you maybe didn't even speak, hardly at all. But being a good listener means that you're not talking. The other person is talking. And when the other person is talking, they're giving you opportunities to understand their point of view, what things they like, what things they don't like, what things they'd like to change, what things they'd like to stay the same. And so being an introvert, it typically, not everyone's the same, but typically means that you're more used to sitting back and listening, and less likely to be the person that is always speaking. And that's a, a very important quality for yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, valuable. Uh, can you share your the best loving uh, sales technique? Uh, because we have many different methods, but uh, your uh, technique that works much better than anything else.
1: My technique,
0: you know, my technique is, is always changing.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I fell in love with, um, David Sandler's, uh, Sandler selling system. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, so a lot of the sort of approaches to speaking and approaches to pitching and approaches to the sales funnel. I got most excited uh, early on by Sandler. Um, And and, uh, so while I'm not a Sandler student, I have sort of consumed as much of the content as I can over the years. And I found it to be pretty spot on. Even the older stuff seems to really hold up. The other thing is the, um, is gong. So, you know, uh, I, I have worked at a company that used Gong, and I thought it was an amazing tool. But even just their research on sales and on sales conversations is invaluable. So they're always, you know, releasing studies and white papers and um, all kinds of things that uh, that are based on thousands of sales calls. and. You know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of successful sales calls and unsuccessful sales calls. And they're able to pull out what was successful in one and why, right? So, one great example is um, when it comes to talking about pricing. Uh, I have never really worked in a sales team that brought up pricing in the very first call, um, but gone did a study that sort of proved that you need to bring up pricing towards the end of your very first call with a prospect. And that the likelihood of closing goes way up after that. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's compelling enough that, um, from that point on, I've always brought up pricing in the first call with someone. And I mean, it makes sense after you think about it, you go, Oh gosh, instead of, you know, getting them bought on in the idea of what you're offering. And then, you know, coming up with a price where you think you can, you know, get the best money out of them. And that is like transparent upfront. Here's the price. So every other conversation that you have, they understand what the price is and they're still meeting with you. They're still having a conversation. That is really important. And so, you know, ultimately you got to look at the data. None of these sales mm-hmm. techniques or sales, um, processes um, you can rely on 100% because at the end of the day, salespeople are making these sales processes and selling them to salespeople. Um, there's no one right answer, but there's a lot of right answers within all of that. So keep your mind open, be willing to experiment and um, you know, always be curious because there is information out there that will change the way you look at the world every day.
0: Mm-hmm yeah yeah uh, yeah curiosity i love it uh, okay let's talk about the balance between knowing the product and knowing sales for example uh, sales people uh, uh, they need to, uh, to know how to sell yeah it's important but they also need to understand the product can you tell from your experience what is the what is better to learn for example to spend so much time to learn about products or is better to spend more time to learn about sales and just to understand how this product works
1: yeah Uh, that's a great question Um, and it is one of the biggest issues i see in sales teams Um, companies are very ready to train their salespeople on the product. Um, But they're not ready to train their salespeople in sales. And I don't think that makes any sense. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, being a product expert is a waste of time for a salesperson. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if if a salesperson knows the product back and forth, that's great. But it's not the salesperson's job to be a product expert. Mm-hmm. It should never be, um, you know, and in fact, when when a salesperson is trying to be a product expert, what ends up often happening is they're more concerned about sounding smart and proving that they know a lot than they are about listening and understanding where they are in the sales process, listening to a prospect, and really understanding how to drive the sale forward. Um that's a problem because salespeople can be very vain, very insecure, and very ego driven. And so, you know, time and time again, a salesperson knows just enough to be dangerous, but they really want to, you know, impress the people they're speaking to. Listen, if I'm selling a product to someone who is designed for them and designed for their position and their role to solve a need that they have, it is not ever it's going to be the case that I'll know as much as them because they do the job. I don't do the job. My job is sales. So, you know, do you want a product person or do you want a salesperson? person? Um, that's why I think it's really important for anyone selling a complex product to think, okay, maybe we need to bring in somebody to demo this product once it's time to do a demo. So the salesperson can sell, and manage the process and manage the conversation. Uh, and the demo person can do the demo. Um, you know, now that's not to say that uh, salespeople don't need to know what the product does, they absolutely do, you need to know you need to be able to speak to it. But um, if you live and die by your product knowledge, that's that's not being a sales focused individual. Um, you know, I can walk into most organizations and assuming that you give me the minimum training, give me an understanding of what the the marketplace looks like, what are my competitors? What is the value proposition? I can sell. I don't need to be an expert on the product. I need to be an expert on listening, extracting what pain exists, and then creating a mutual, Empathy-driven process where those needs are met and the sale is closed. Um, I am not. My job is not to be a product person, and uh, mm-hmm. and so you know, um, companies that rely on their salespeople to learn the product um, and don't rely on nurturing their sales abilities are making a big mistake. Um, I think the value of being a seller is undervalued. Uh, it's uh, not very often um, highlighted as something that needs to be continually updated and um, you know, nurtured. Uh, and uh, I think if we saw more companies concentrating on what the sales process should be and less on that their salespeople need to be product
0: experts, uh, we'd have a lot better success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love it. Uh, Let's talk about bad products. For example, uh, in marketing, marketing can't help bad products. We know that. It's impossible. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I watched this movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, and uh, he sold (laughs) bad products, you know. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Can you tell more about that? Uh, What do you think salespeople can help bad products to sell it or not?
1: Um, (laughs) yes, um, good salespeople can sell a bad product. Um, however, um, (laughs) that's just such a good question. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, it's one of those problems that like, you know, um, you have to feel okay selling a bad product somebody Um, and anybody who leads with empathy and is a good person won't want to sell a bad product Um, with that said there are millions of salespeople out there every day whose, you know uh, livelihood depends on their ability to sell a bad product so I mean you know ultimately um as long as it's not a fraudulent product um, if it solves a need and there's a budget in place, um, a salesperson shouldn't be chastised for doing their job and selling the product um, you know sometimes it maybe it takes somebody buying something that isn't great for them to understand oh you know what we actually need something different or we need something like this, but we need, here's what we really need. Right. So it could be a path for someone to say, okay, you know, we bought this product. um, It wasn't great, but from that experience, we learned what we don't need and what we do need, what we liked about the product, what was terrible about it and how we'll approach buying something in the future. Um, You know, I don't feel good about selling a bad product um, and it's something that I've had to struggle with as a salesperson um, once or twice uh, and it never feels good. It never feels good. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, sometimes marketing is the key to a bad product being sold. Um, and so again, there's, there's another opportunity to go, okay, well, Marketing has done a great job at convincing people this is a good product and I just need to sell it. Um, and if, you're, if your conscience can handle that, then, I don't know, I guess go for it. But, um, yeah, not everybody can have good products. And not everyone can have a sexy product that, you know, is innovative. It's going to change the world, right? But every yeah. company out there, almost every company has salespeople. So, you know, everyone is out there selling, you know, their, their product. And, um, you know, not all products are are created equal, Um, but a good salesperson can can find the right buyer uh, for most anything. It's just, are they a good ethical salesperson? And is it a good company? You know, that's a whole other conversation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got it. Okay, I I have the final question. Uh, Let's imagine you started from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills. What will you do to learn more about sales today? Um, I
1: guess the first thing that I would do is I would pick up a parenting book. Mm -hmm. Um, Parenting books and being a parent Uh, is probably one of the most enlightening experiences that you can have, and here's why. Um, What you don't realize until, like, you're a parent is how much what you say can influence a child and their beliefs and their values. Um, It... It makes you think about what you say before you say it. It makes you um, more careful about being organized in um, your life. Organized not just for your own sake, but for others' sakes. Um, Having empathy and really listening. Uh, You know, when a child is is feeling upset or angry, It can be very valuable to say. Seems like you're sort of agitated, a little frustrated. Oh, yeah. I remember a time when I was feeling the same way. Um, Yeah, and it wasn't great. It wasn't fun. Oh, now the child goes, well, they understand how I'm feeling right now. And they'll start talking and opening up to you. Um, It it teaches you to lead with empathy uh, and creates. Uh, environment of trust um and so in some sense you know uh, you have to be really thoughtful about your language when you're a parent you know mm-hmm. um saying like oh gosh i feel fat or uh you know that person's ugly like you can't do that unless you want your kid to feel like oh okay um being fat or or good looking are very important things and they're things that my parents think about so they must be things that i better think about And, uh, you know, the next thing you know, you've created a very insecure person because you didn't think about what you said. Um, It makes you think about what you say, why you say it, and um, ultimately uh, helps you with a goal of creating a positive outcome, which is somebody who feels safe, feels um, supported, and feels like uh, they have somebody who understands them. Right. So, you know, in lieu of getting an MBA and taking a psychology class and, you know, starting out from from the bottom and, you know, like it's the closest thing I can think of is thinking about parenting. (laughs) <laughs>
0: nice, nice love it love it Lee uh, a big pleasure to get you on my show to learn from you you share a lot of valuable insights tell our audience how to reach out to you how to learn more about you how to follow yeah. you yeah absolutely so you can find me on
1: LinkedIn um my name is legal l-e-e-g-a-u-l um I am on Twitter but I'm mostly joking around on Twitter at legal um you can go to legal.com And if you're picking up on a theme here, I basically own the name Legal. There isn't isn't really any other Legals out there. Um, So (laughs) if you know my name and you put my name into Google, you will find me. And please feel free to reach out to me, connect with me. If you're trying to sell to me, though, you better have listened to this uh,
0: podcast first so that uh, you
1: you don't follow uh, bad advice. You listen to our advice and you do your research.
0: Yeah, by the way, guys, it's your homework. You know, you can uh, send personalized message to Lee. You know, uh, don't try to sell, build relationships. Yeah, I love it. Uh, thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. You can, guys, you can find all links to Lee uh, in the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify, and love you. See you next time.